you need insulin to actually make many of those hormone conversions. So the body will crave glucose and sugar, carbs, whatever it is, to raise glucose, to raise insulin, to help with the hormone conversion. Five days before the cycle, it'll transform your hormonal month. So again, I, I discovered that as I taught doctors. I said, hey, let's try this, and it worked. So in my book, Beyond yeah. Fasting, I, I talk about weekly, monthly, in uh, seasonal variation, and really how to implement that, because it, it's a little different for everyone. What works for you, Lance, is going to be a little different than me. And Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. So one of the number one things I get asked all the time is, Lance, when are you going to launch a podcast course? When can I learn to do what you do? So now the time has finally come. And I've partnered up with another fellow podcaster, Julian Guterlai from Green Planet, Blue Planet. We have over 400 episodes combined, reached multiple tens of thousands of people, and impacted a lot of lives. We decided to come together and create an eight-week program. We're going to do eight 90-minute calls throughout the process. We're going to break down how it all works from start to finish. Podcasting is an interesting game right now. A lot of people fail because they don't get the right information in the beginning, and they either quit because they underestimate the amount of work it takes, or they just don't know what they're doing. So we want to provide you something so that you can learn from the mistakes we made started off hitting the ground running and actually have success. So having an eight-week program where we're going to have a small group, 10 to 12 people, we're going to be able to talk, we're going to be able to communicate and really figure out what questions you have, what's stopping you, and how to break through any barriers like that. So you're going to be able to launch this thing feeling amazing and confident. And not only that, it's a community feel. So it's always better to have a support group around you when doing something like this. And I believe this will be a life-changing opportunity. So we're looking for 10 to 12 people. If you're interested or you feel called to this, I highly recommend checking it out. You can find on my Instagram, lance.esios. It's in the bio, the top one. It says, launch your own podcast course. If you click on there, it'll give you all the information. And then we can hop on a call and answer any questions that you have. So I highly suggest if you're feeling called to start a podcast, but if you don't have the tools, the resources, you don't know how to do it, this is perfect for you. We'll help you the entire way to start and launch your podcast so it can be successful. So if you're feeling called, check it out. Link is in the bio on my Instagram. Or if you feel like you want more information beforehand, send me a DM. Happy to answer any questions or email me anytime. And we are back. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're new here, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener of University of Adversity, welcome back. Much appreciated. I love you guys. If this is your first time, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to stay on top of those episodes. When you hit that subscribe button on Apple, it's all free. And if you get any value from this, I would really appreciate a review. The more reviews we get, the more it helps grow this show. I just want to build awareness. So if you got value from myself or my next guest, I would really, really appreciate it, guys. So really, really excited as well for today's guest. I've been waiting for him to come on for a while. 
His name is Dr. Daniel Pompa. He is a respected leader in the health and wellness space, educating practitioners and the public on the origins of inflammation-driven disease, the therapeutic application of the ketogenic diet, fasting, ancestral-based health approaches, cellular healing, and detoxification. Although trained as a chiropractor, his authority is rooted in his own battle of overcoming neurotoxic illness and heavy metal poisoning using his own unique cellular detoxification strategies. A relentless self-experimenter, Dr. Pompa has a passion for healing others. He is a true warrior of a from pain to purpose mindset, and he speaks about removing the cause of toxicity and inflammation, going upstream, and following a multi-therapeutic approach to health and healing. Dr. Pompa and his wife, Marilee, live in Park, Utah, Park City, Utah, with their five children, two dogs, and two cats. I really wanted to give that full intro to Dr. Pompa because this guy's amazing. And I've actually done his cellular detox program. I've learned about his story through my naturopath and good friend, Dr. Nicholas Jensen, who's been on this show. And I remember when I used to do what's called a brain map, I would watch Dr. Pompa's uh, cellular healing TV and I'd get to know him really well. And I got to hear about his story and all that. So I was it, was, it was pretty awesome to be able to connect with him finally. We got into some stuff. Really, I think we got some really useful topics covered uh, about what's going on today. And, you know, really some takeaways on what you can do in your own life and empower yourself to make better decisions. So again, guys, I, I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. Dr. Pompa is one of the best um, sources of information out there and he's changing so many lives and he is an amazing dude as you'll hear in this episode so enjoy dr pompa coming right up and here we go dr dr dan pompa welcome to the show man all right glad to be here i um for all everybody that doesn't know i have done your cellular detox program and i've worked with a lot of the doctors and come in contact with a lot of people that are in you know, under your program and that you've led them. So it was a matter of time before I had you on the show. So I'm really excited to, uh, to dive in and kind of hear your story, man, because, you know, I know you overcame neurotoxic illness, heavy metal poisoning, all that kind of stuff. And it's had a huge impact on what you do today. So I would love if we could maybe start, take us back a little bit and walk us through that process, maybe before and how that you responded to that and how that shaped what you, your philosophy is today. Yeah, you know, I think I had a philosophy of not taking medications unless, you know, <clears throat> I was absolutely on death's door and it was an emergency, you know, so it's not that I was completely against it. But I was raised by an Italian bricklayer father who was in World War II, mm-hmm. and he just didn't do the drug thing honestly. Yeah. And I never really understood where he got his philosophy, <clears throat> except to say that his mother didn't vaccinate them. So obviously it was something in there. And then one day I watched uh, this documentary on World War II and a lot of what my father went through. And I saw that, you know, in these foxholes, you know, they doctored each other. And that's what he did for me. If I came mm-hmm. home with gaping wounds, I mean, any parent would be running their kid to the hospital. My dad was like, let me see it. You know, and he literally fixed me up. I mean, like I had, I remember once I fell on my bike and my 
hip was so wide open, I could see my pelvis, you know, and he just brought it back together and, you know, stitched it up here, cleaned the infections out. I mean, this is what my dad did. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, this is the way I grew up. I was never on an antibiotic in my life. I was never on the drug. I remember I was skiing and I thought, surely I broke my leg. I was doing this big jump. I couldn't move it, right? And, you know, so they brought me down the hill and they called my dad and um, they're like, well, we think it might be broken. I'm like, you know, my dad's like, well, you know, you sure it's broke because he can still move it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those like he felt it. My dad assessed. He's like, I don't think it's broke. I'm like, Dad, take me to the hospital. So I begged him to take me to the hospital. He's a really good dad, right? So he did. And I was praying that the whole time. Okay, I pray it's broken so I don't waste my father's time. Mm. It wasn't. I was like, oh, devastated. So that was kind of like my my hospital, you know, incident. Mm. But <clears throat> he was gracious. But the bottom line is that's the way I was raised. Okay, fast forward. I hurt my neck. I was fractured. I was pounced on wrestling this way, compression fractures. I walked around for years like this, yeah. couldn't turn my head. And finally, a friend of mine's like, you have to go to my brother. He's a chiropractor. I'm like, I don't go to doctors. It's fine. But anyway, <laughs> something intrigued me, and I went. And I listened to a talk he gave, and I was like, that's what I believe. Well, like, I don't know where it came from, but that's what I believe. I mean, basically, yeah. hey, the body heals itself, remove the interference. Mm-hmm. I ended up going to chiropractic school because of that mm-hmm. resonating with the philosophy. And then fast forward, I get sick. Uh, I have this thriving chiropractic practice and out of nowhere from the healthiest guy, probably in the best shape of my life, fatigue, thought I was overtraining, cut back did this, went from fatigue to anxiety, insomnia, allergic to every food I was eating, uh, disaster. Uh, it took me three, four years to figure out what was wrong. And sticking with my philosophy, I just kept, you know, literally sniffing up. There's a reason. There's a reason. And once I found the reason, I'll just fast forward very quickly. Everything I teach today, my cellular detox, my fasting strategies, all of it comes out of what I learned in my own battle. And it was devastating. I mean, I couldn't really, um, I could barely work at all. And uh, I, I could barely be a husband or a father. So that was my story. Wow. So what was the, did you, what was the specific thing that you, the illness, like what was it? Is it, was it a rare thing or is it just a compound of heavy metal detox or heavy metal poisoning? Like what was it exactly? You know, when I looked at my symptoms and obviously I I spent a lot of insomnia ridden nights digging when I could, sometimes I was just too anxious, Yeah. you know, and just, I remember my wife, I'd be balled up in a, you know, fetal position and she would say like well what, what you know what do you feel like and i said i just want to cry and i just had this odd feeling i, I can't even describe it. it would come it would go you know amongst the fatigue and all the other symptoms sound sensitive my thyroid was just shot mm-hmm. like every symptom but yet my blood work was normal that was frustrating my adrenals were shot i couldn't even handle noise kids crying and i had two young boys at the time i looked at all of these weird symptoms and i was online and i found mad hatter's disease and I was like, this is me. I'm mad as a hatter. And they were mercury poisoned. These people were making hats, felt hats in particular. And mercury was a part of the process. And I ran and got a mercury test. It was a blood test. And it was negative. It showed some mercury, but nothing of any concern. A year or so later, I made good friends with a very bright endocrinologist trying to figure out my thyroid, my adrenal issues. And he said, you know, Dad, I think you have mercury toxicity. And I'm like, I thought so too. 
I did a blood test and he said, wrong test. You need to challenge it out of your tissue because you have chronic, not acute, like Matt Hatters. They were getting exposed every day, so their blood levels were up. Right. But um, I did the test, and then uh, a lot of metals showed up, so I was backing up. <laughs> but um, the, the bottom line was is then I had to research. I had silver fillings in, which contained 50% mercury. Right. Now looking back, I had two removed because I had a tooth crack in – my symptoms started shortly after that. I just never correlated it. So now part of my process is how do you get these out safely? Mm -hmm. And then how do you get the stuff out of your brain? Because mm -hmm. that's where it's trapped. And that's what ultimately got my life back. <clears throat> right in the center of the brain is the pituitary. It controls your thyroid, controls your adrenals, it controls your hormones. So I was downstream trying to fix it. The problem was here. And so again, a big part of what I teach is how to get this stuff out of your brain. Yeah, I um I personally did that and I and Dr. Nick Jensen, he amazing him and Sonia um in their clinic, I went and I had a heavy metal test as well and I was just loaded full of lead and all these different kinds of things. So I I'm curious, how big of a problem is this? And why would I have that and why do most people get all this this crap in their blood? Well, you look, we grew up in the mercury and lead generation. And yeah. unfortunately, it's four generations. The biggest exposures are our mom. Mm -hmm. During pregnancy, it's very normal to lose bone. That just so happens that's where lead is stored. Our parents, because of lead and gasoline and paint and everything, there was so much lead in the environment. They were loaded. But my generation, I'm mid-50s, we were loaded because of moms. Unfortunately, that's four generations. Even what we call epigenetically, so there's a physical inheritance. Because mm -hmm. during pregnancy, women do in fact lose bone, and that's how the lead just pours into the uh, utero. Yeah. But it also triggers genes. It turns on for four generations. So this is a generational problem. And also mercury, there's a study called the giraffe study. Mom has these fillings that they go right into the baby in the brain. In, that, in particular, and that's an autopsy study. So we know that the number of fillings in mom's mouth is proportional to how much is in the baby's brain. And by the way, on the tests that you and I did, you really, you can't test for brain mercury. Mm -hmm. So mercury oftentimes doesn't show up on that test, you know, unless it's really, your body just backs up all the metals. So you have to be even cautious. Uh, there's no perfect test for mercury. But the bottom line is, is that we've had all those exposures now. I just interviewed Bobby Kennedy yesterday, or no, that's not true. Uh, he ran today, it was two days ago, was the actual interview on, on my podcast, uh, Silent Hilly TV. Bobby Kennedy obviously started, really his passion was cleaning the environment of mercury mm. and making factories that were these just mercury pollutants. Um, and he cleaned up environment. One day, a woman, he tells the story in the interview, one day a woman comes to him with a handful of papers and research she was influential enough with the kennedy family that you know she basically said i'm not leaving until you commit to looking at this and she knew her resolve and said okay he starts looking at this and he's stunned and he has a knack for reading studies as he explains and he dives in and he even asks what are the people that i should talk to about this and anyways they lead him to those two people and in no time he realized he knew more about mercury than they do. They did, and that they were calling the mercury in vaccines the safe mercury. 
which is not safe at all. It appears safe because it leaves the body so quickly in monkey studies, but it was going into the brain, which other studies showed. So he talked in depth about the vaccine mercury connection and then the aluminum connection. When they take mercury out, they put more aluminum. These are adjuncts. They get the vaccine to actually uh, trigger the immune system or the, the, these adjuncts trigger the immune system. That's how they work. But unfortunately now, today, I probably had three vaccines in my life, um, whereas kids today, you're talking about 72, okay? You're loaded with heavy metals. So you ask the question where the sources are. Mom, yeah. vaccines, fish, and probably higher in fish back than Wednesday. So you can see you know, where these metals are coming from. So very prevalent to answer your question. So which vaccines are safe or which ones are, because there's so much confusion around this. And I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't get that many. That's crazy. 72? Like that's... Lance, oh yeah. Look, I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't ever want to tell anyone not to vaccinate. For what sure. I will say is please yeah. do your research. Absolutely. There is another side to this story. Um, I personally didn't vaccinate my children. I personally uh, don't get flu shots. They still have 25 micrograms of mercury in every flu shot, which is more than any government body thinks is safe. Um, so why do they still put it in there? Because it works. It works for what they need it for. Um, if you find a, uh, a doctor who is privy to this problem, they will, oh, they can find you a mercury-free flu shot or vaccine, but then it's loaded with aluminum. Which, by the way, in a study, this is the truth, mm. aluminum, if you put, if you take rats or mice and you give them injections with aluminum and whatever you want to put with that aluminum, you will give them an allergy to whatever it is. So put aluminum with peanut oil, you will create a peanut allergy. Put a, uh, aluminum with certain ragweed, you will create that allergy. Put it with gluten, you will create that. Put it with, the point is, is when you look at Google, the ingredients in whatever vaccine someone wants to give you, there's aborted fetal tissue. It's there for a reason. This isn't, you know, it's not random. It's there for a very good reason. But the point is, is are you willing, is the question, to put that into your body? Mm. When I believe childhood illnesses, measles, mumps, rubella, are not only dangerous to a healthy, not, not dangerous to a healthy person, I believe they're vital to creating a better immune system later and prevents us from cancer. This isn't, this is me doing study or research. I'm sorry, digging through the research myself, coming to this conclusion. This is my view that it helps cancer later, complicated viruses later. So getting the illnesses, I believe is very, very important to develop, develop immunity. Now here we are in this day yeah, of the, you know, the, the Corona. Can we say that it might get shut down, but or even the V word, right? We're talking about something that could potentially shut your uh, podcast down here. But the fact is um, that here we are searching for a vaccine to this. And when I interview the experts, they're saying it's impossible. It's a unicorn. You know, meaning that these things mutate and change. These viruses so fast, these flu viruses, these corona type viruses, it's impossible to develop one. And again, that's not my opinion. You know, if you interview Judy Mikovits, others, mm -hmm. Kennedy, you know, they'll tell you, mm -mm, it's impossible. So what we're waiting for is a unicorn. They might as well put saline in it and just at least alleviate people's fear. I think we would save lives doing that. But the bottom line is, is that we have to educate ourselves in this topic because this topic of the day 
when you look at the numbers of autism cases, it's stunning. Yeah. They're saying it's a in the interview with Kennedy. I said it was one in 57. And while Corona was going on, those numbers went to one in 54. In states like New Jersey, one in 35. Okay, that was new reports that came out. No one paid attention. Mainstream media didn't even touch it because 70% of their income is from drug companies. So they're not touching this topic. And, you know, yet when I said the number, Kennedy corrected me and said, it's really more like one in 37 or whatever he said. You can watch the interview. But th these are stunning numbers. He corrected me on something else. I said, is it true that the CDC itself owns 28 patents on vaccines, which would be the fox guarding the hen house? He corrected me and said, no, Dr. Mamba, it's 57 patents. Okay, mm -hmm. Bill Gates, Fauci, all of them owning these patents with the drug companies. And you wonder why. The big agenda is to mandate vaccines. So I am not against vaccines. I'm for health freedom. If we're allowed to educate ourselves and still make a choice to put this in our body, then go ahead, do your research, do it. I'm not, I'm not lobbying for, against vaccines. I'm lobbying to keep our health freedom. And I'm telling you, look, Lance, this is the most important topic of the day. Most important topic. You should post the interview I did with Kennedy if mm. people want to know more. And Y'all should go to his website, uh, childrenshealthfreedom.org, because this is a huge, huge topic. Yeah, and so many people aren't willing to have the conversation. People are so stuck on their philosophy about one thing, and anything, anytime it's challenged, people get all bent out of shape. It's important to be able to discuss this stuff. Yeah, no, no doubt. With an educated backing. And by the yeah. way, I misquoted. It's childrenshealthdefense.org. That's Robert, uh, Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's site. Yeah. Um, everybody should go there. All the research is there. So if people are asking for more, go there. And please donate even if you can, because our health freedom is at stake. And that's what I'm about. I have a, I'm going to pull out a question that I got specifically, and it ties into this, and from Nicole. She said, so I'll give you a little bit of a background. She said, what's the safest way to detox your body from metals? When she was one years old, she received two baby vaccines. Within hours, her parents had to rush her to the hospital because her whole body was turning colors. She has since dealt with unexplained sickness her whole life and is allergic to everything and never felt 100%. No, it's ironic that I would just you know, talk about why yeah. the allergies happen post-vaccines, yeah. why it's an epidemic of autoimmune disease, allergies, all that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then that question, right? Look, my passion <laughs> is detox. Uh, we, uh, the key is getting this stuff out of the brain and deep nerve tissue. Uh, when we look at even the, uh, the vaccine, the Gardasil, I'm telling you, look, Kennedy is going against, he went against Monsanto, uh, yeah. the biggest chemical company in the world, devastating our food supply, opening up quite leaky gut, uh, leaky brain, if you will. Now he's going against the top four vac uh, vaccine manufacturers. He says he has more evidence and discovery that what he beat Monsanto with. And I can just tell you this, it's shocking. I've been in private conversations with Bobby, uh, Andy Wakefield, whose new movie is coming out, the 1986, The Act. Stay tuned, at the mm -hmm. end of this month, you're gonna be able to get that and promote it to your audience, please. But the, the bottom line is, my passion is detoxing this stuff safely, correctly out of the body, particularly the brain, to make it as simple as I can. Real detox happens at the cell. 
You have to upregulate those pathways as part of my process. You have to use real binders and chelators to make sure it doesn't redistribute throughout the body. We have to bind it in the gut so it doesn't auto-intoxicate. So this process I've put together and taught for many years, I'm just going to draw it because drawing it is worth a thousand words in itself. That's the cell. So yeah. this is where real detox is. I have what I call my five R's. That's a process to, I teach doctors to upregulate this detox. This is getting shut down because the epidemic of toxins we're exposed to. So you don't detox somebody with a colon cleanse or a simple sauna. I'm not against any of those things, but I got my life back by fixing the cell. Mm. And that's my saying, you have to fix the cell to get well. If we can get this detoxing, here's one of the problems. Now you can redistribute metals, heavy metals, other toxins throughout the body, and many of which, ah, my pen's running out. This is why you need multiple pens, folks, because when you write upside down, they actually, so if that, imagine that being a person, let's put an eye on it. All right, can you imagine that being a person? And I have, do we need a mouth? I think we do. Okay. <laughs> He's laughing at me. Good okay. art. Lance good is art, laughing man. at my drawing. <laughs> uh, I'm a stick figure drawing, but I kick butt at Pictionary. That's so awesome. This is the brain. When you upregulate the cell function, these toxins can redistribute, many of which can end up in the brain, mm -hmm. which is disastrous. This is why doing detox correctly is vital okay now very quickly and i'll let you ask a question when we detox we need chelators and the one that we use is called cyto detox we need binders here to prevent this from happening many of these toxins then are in fact i'm <laughs> going through pens like wildfire all right well, that's probably because you're writing up on that angle too oh I no think. exactly why but i, I have yeah. nothing else to do <laughs> okay so i'll keep it like this yeah um many of these toxins are brought to the liver Okay, yeah. and that's a liver, and they bind up with something called bile. Bile gets dumped in our gut. Mm -hmm. and if I draw a very rudimentary there, uh, gut, but they get dumped in the gut to digest fat, but it brings the toxins with it. And the problem is the bile gets reabsorbed back to the liver, and it brings the toxins right back. It's called auto intoxication. So we need a binder here. I call it bind. Actually, I yeah. developed it, yeah. and we need a binder up here. And we have to upregulate the cell. So the cell, real binders, not these herbal weak binders like Corella and cilantro, they don't work. And then a binder that stays in the gut as a catcher's mitt to prevent auto-intoxication. That system is what I call true cellular detox. That system is what I've taught for 20 years. Would you, so binders, just so people know, it's, it's kind of like, I think I asked Nick this as well, like kind of like an activated charcoal style of binder or is it more than that that's a lot more than that because yeah. most first of all charcoal does a good job with um organics that means toxins okay. from like mold infections but it doesn't do a good job with heavy metals people okay. don't realize that there's other binders in there humic acids fuel fulvates that do a better job with heavy metals inorganics as we call them you know from non-living things like heavy metals so in that bind product that i created there's four different binders in it mm -hmm. for that purpose because there's different types of toxins we want to bind. So again, it's just, it's three parts what I teach. You have to upregulate the cell. You have to use these real binders, which is a big ma major mistake people make and they end up redistributing toxins mm -hmm. and then you have to bind it in the gut. Otherwise you auto intoxicate. So you know, just think of that system. Now, of course, there's a lot more around it of opening up detox pathways, downstream pathways, 
but that system is what I call true detox. How has, has there been anything that your from, let's say your past philosophy over the last few years, has, has there been anything that you've changed on or that you've learned recently that's kind of, you know, because there's been, since I got into the health and wellness space, you know, I used to follow Dr. Mercola back in 2008, you know, and I've just seen so many changes over the years, you know, like one day it's this way, but I, I respect that. I respect anybody that is willing to learn and change their, their philosophy. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. Is there anything that you used to do in your philosophy that's kind of changed within the last few years that you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe I missed that or something different, something like that? You know, probably in the nuances of that process, right? You have yeah. discovery, you know, and, and right now, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'll think of one here. But, you know, my wife always says, one thing about you is what you've been teaching. It's the same message. Yeah. And it's been the same message for 20 years. And, she, you know, she's right. I, I think it's because I re just resonate with my philosophy that I guess it came from my father. Here we are full circle in the conversation, right? Mm. remove the interference the body heals you know somehow my father instilled that in me that you know you don't need a drug the body heals right it's you know and i just run with that so um my detox is based on that principle and you know i mean some of the binders have gotten better um you know that's changed um but still some of the chelators that i used all the way back i'm still using you know just differently i would say mm. Fasting is something that I educated myself on in the 90s, and I'm still teaching it today. Uh, and the good thing about this, fasting doesn't ever change mm. because it's been used. Matter of fact, it hasn't changed since Hippocrates. It hasn't changed since Plato. It hasn't changed since our forefathers and the founders of modern medicine. I mean, you know, fasting is still the, um, the number one, the oldest therapy known to man, and I still believe the most powerful and detox done correctly remove the interference the body heals what i teach doctors is putting these strategies together in what i call multi-therapeutic approach and it's been my it's been my strategy for years so even my diet strategies lance um i believe in something called diet variation yeah. where i don't hang my hat in one diet uh vegan vegetarian paleo uh keto I don't believe in all of them. <laughs> My belief is the, the power is switching. Mm. The power is not staying in one. And I get hate mail for it because the people camp there. You know, the vegans, the vegetarians, the, the, the paleo keto people, you know, and, but yet I strongly believe when you look at every ancient culture that was healthy on this planet, they were forced into dietary changes. And the more I study, the more I realize that when you change your diet, it forces the body to adapt, and that adaptation is, in fact, the magic of hormone optimization, which is why people can't lose weight. It's the magic of fixing a gut. It's the magic that just relies, again, on the body's innate intelligence. I mean, that inborn wisdom that the body has just goes into overdrive during a fast or when we do a dietary change. So that philosophy, I don't know. How does that change? I don't know, Lance. Yeah, I've just, I, I've just seen how, you know, when I used to play hockey, how we were taught, you know, load up on the carbs the night before, you know, as an athlete. And, oh, I, thought, you know, I, I thought of one. I thought yeah. of one. I changed them. 
Period. Okay, yeah, I was so, going to say. Long fast is something I studied in the 90s, right? I, you know, extended fast, like at least five days. I've been doing that for many, many, many years. Okay, yeah, okay. so I went to Africa. This was in, uh, I think the first time I was there, maybe 2005. And I saw this incredibly, one of the last hunting gathering tribes, incredibly healthy tribes. They didn't have diseases to speak of, which was unbelievable. But I saw something so unique. I was a believer at that time of eating four or five meals a day, uh, smaller yeah. meals a day. And I saw them eat one meal. I saw the men go out in the morning and without food, barely water, because they had to chase down prey and come back at maybe three or four in the afternoon and never eat. And yet then they would eat as a group and maybe it was a three-hour dinner, but they would eat this one very social meal at the end of the day, very European style, I would say as well. That was the start. And I didn't change right away. It was like, you know, reading other, you know, some other yeah. things that were starting out there. That was the start of me realizing the key to living longer is eating less. Yes, everyone knows that, but I was trying to do it in small meals. Right. The key to eating, living longer is eating less by eating less often. And right. I, I, that learning started with that tribe. So I completely flipped on that. Uh, you know, sometime after that. Well, because we were told so such different things. We were told eat as many meals a day, and it's it's crazy. I remember the, it's. I'm gl so glad you brought that up. The first book that I read about this was the Warrior Diet. Yeah. By Ari 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 Yeah, Hulkemeyer or so, Moffer or something. Anyways, so I saw him on Mercola back in the day, and I remember reading that and thinking how much sense it made. And that, that, I remember telling people that had just finished nutrition degrees at UBC and they're mm -hmm. like, that's not, that's crazy. That's unhealthy. You know, his, his yeah. is a little bit different, but it was basically like, Hey, during the day is your time to focus, you know, doing things, you're active, you know, maybe you can, you can eat, you know, smaller, like um, whatever, like, uh, what was he saying? Like nuts or whatever. But you know, the intermittent fasting, that was the first time I actually started to explore that. Let me tell, I'll tell you another thing that I switched, right? And it goes with my diet variation, you know, philosophy is when I, I did that for some, you know, some time where I started eating less, less meals and, um, and low carb, which I just tend to gravitate to. Right. Same. And well, I started noticing I was getting weaker in the gym and I started noticing that I was getting fat in my belly. So I, I did what most disciplined people would do. I, cut my carbs down to 20. Uh, I swear I was getting worse. Okay, let's go down to 10. Then it was like, I was barely, I was doing carnivore diet, I think. I was losing muscle and I was getting fatter. And then my fat started dimpling out, weird. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went on a new research drive. And that's really when I'm like, ah, oh, of course, my body is trying to survive. See, when you, when you do these fasting strategies and when you do low carb your cells can only use two things for energy sugar or fat we're shifting it over to be fat burners 95 98 percent of its energy now is coming from fat so think this through if that's where most of its energy is coming from then it goes i want to survive i better hold on to this precious energy because i don't know what's coming next that's the way your body thinks all it wants to do is survive and adapt so guess what it does eventually it starts slowing down fat metabolism. Well, how does it do it? It will literally send a message from the DNA of the cell. This is how smart the body is 
to these receptors, hormone receptors on every cell, okay? And it will blunt insulin receptors or thyroid receptors, and you start storing more fat. It doesn't matter what you eat. When yeah. the body blunts those receptors, you're going to hold on to fat. That's what was happening to me. And then also, when I started getting that really dimply fat, what it does also, it will push water into fat cells to slow down fat burning, fat metabolism. So, you know, then I realized, okay, we need to emulate what the bodybuilders do. If they want to get leaner, they carb load at different times. Mm. Like right before a contest, they'll carb load and they'll, they'll lean out. And that's exactly the principle. I, I literally took the principle and I started applying it. So my diet variation strategy, yes, it's seasonal changes in diet, but even throwing in one, two, and some people need three feast days where they break from low carb, healthy high carb, where they, maybe it's even high protein, and maybe it's even eating more often, you know, during the day. Maybe, you know, I try to eat three meals sometimes. So the point is, is there's weekly variation, monthly variation, and seasonal. And ladies, if, if you're listening, get a pet, especially if you're perimenopause or premenopause, taking five days before your cycle and doing high healthy carbs. Oh, and by the way, that's typically when you get your cravings. The innate intelligence knows this, so it might be think, doing something for you. All of these hormone conversions happen at that time. You need insulin to actually make many of those hormone conversions. So the body will crave glucose and sugar, carbs, whatever it is, to raise glucose, to raise insulin, to help with the hormone conversion. Five days before the cycle, it'll transform your hormonal month. So again, I, I discovered that as I taught doctors. I said, hey, let's try this, and it worked. So in my book, Beyond yeah. Fasting, I, I talk about weekly, monthly, in uh, seasonal variation, and really how to implement that, because it, it's a little different for everyone. What works for you, Lance, is going to be a little different than me, and you know, if you're a thyroid person, it's a little different for you, but you, know, you can get the book. It's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I'm going to selfishly ask a question from, from my perspective because, you know, being an athlete and, you know, I've kind of burned the, burned the candle on both ends over the years working in bars and trying to get that balance. I've always, I've been tinkering with the different diets, you know, the, when paleo came out and then keto and carnivore, I had Dr. Paul Saladino on last year, like right after Ben Greenfield, everybody was on there, that blew my mind. So I tried that for a bit. You know, but what I'm what I'm noticing is that when I let's say I want to do intensive exercise, I want to go and I'm boxing or I'm you know training hard. I'm in my mind. I'm thinking I need to keep my carbs down to a certain level, but then I know I need to get more. So lately, I've actually been loading up on more sweet potatoes and more fruit because I feel like my workouts are just I'm suffering. But at the same time, I have this feeling like well. Is it that I haven't given the low, haven't given the keto long enough? I haven't adapted long enough, but then also I don't want to put myself through that hard workout and not and run out of energy, right? So, I guess the big question is, is what I'm asking is, is that the reason? What is the reason why people don't have success in the keto diet? Is it because they haven't given it long enough, or is it because maybe they're not implementing? Certain, like more carbs in specifically for That's high right. activity. You need more variation. Yeah. Some people need more than others. My wife uh, went into keto and it was like month two and she was, still wasn't getting above 0.5. Now, my wife is lean and fit for a 52-year-old woman. 
and yet she wasn't raising numbers. What was going on? Mm-hmm. So, and month three, still on it. I said, go back to a higher healthy carbohydrate diet. And she did. She felt better. But then I said, but we're going to do that for two months. Then we're going to go back into keto. The second time she went into keto, her numbers were much higher, meaning her ketones, right? So meaning that she was being more efficient with her fat. Took her out of it after two months, went back to the high carbohydrate. But the third time I did that, now my wife can go into keto in just two days. Boom, fat burn. She needed to fix her, you know, and she had some hormone things that were uh, a cause of that. But it was the variation, and that was part of my discovery. You know, it was the variation that was magic for her. So I speak that to many listening. Also, the weekly variation. Also, the monthly variation that I'm mentioning. Many people need more variation for to be successful in a keto diet. Now, on the athletic question, I interviewed Zach Bitters. He holds the uh, U.S. 100-mile record. I mean, he, said he, just, he broke a treadmill, 100 miles running on a treadmill record. I mean, who does this? Yeah. Anyways, um, he's a fat-adapted athlete, meaning he goes in ketosis. But you know, you know what he does, Lance? And, th- and this may be a benefit to you. He, he is fat-adapted, but the day of an event or a very high, hard-intensity training, he carb loads. So meaning that let's say he's running a hundred miles because he's so fat adapted when he throws sugar during the race, it's almost like gasoline on a fire because he's so fat adapted. The moment his cells see the glucose, it's like energy and it just immediately starts burning it. So he needs less glucose during a race. No doubt. He's more efficient at burning fat for longer periods like most fat adapted athletes. But he uses the glucose as a biohack to get these extreme energy sources. So likewise on hard training days. So you just need more variation. You know, on easier days, you know, you just stay in your fat adaptation. But on harder days, you throw carbs at it. Need more variation. Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, and then there's been times also where you see people like Sean Baker who's just running on, on meat. And it's like, how is it's how is that possible? Like, how is he, yeah. you know? And it, it fascinates me because that's so that's that's so different than what I ever thought before. Well, and again, you know, he's fat adapted, so yeah. he's able to use fat. I can go on a three-hour mountain bike ride, yeah, you know, and just people are eating, people are eating. I'm still going because I'm so efficient at using yeah. my fat, right? But I only have so many bursts. Yeah. of like high dose because then my glucose and muscles will, uh, my, my liver and muscles will dump glycogen, right? That's stored yeah. glucose. You can only do that so many times before you will bonk, right? So if you're on a steady pace, you can just burn fat, burn fat, burn fat. And that's what a lot of these athletes do. And you have to be cautious with your bursting because you only have so much stored yeah. glucose, otherwise you're gonna have to replace it. And, and of course, in a race like 100 miles, uh, you know, you're going to have to replace glucose. So when he does, he efficiently does it. So you just have to be, you know, aware of that. What are some, here's another question that came in from Tammy. What are the most bioavailable, absorbable, natural supplements that you would recommend? Because I know that you say a lot of fish oils are rancid and we're taught to take these, you know, and, and maybe walk us through some of the stuff that you don't recommend versus maybe some of the stuff you do recommend. Yeah, look, you know, I'm not a big vitamin guy. I mean, when I, I've created supplements and I, there's a great need for them, 
you know, there's active forms of vitamins. You know, for example, there's folate, then there's methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is an active form. There's, you know, sick people do better with more active forms. And yeah. that means it'll just go right to work um, without having to convert it. And some people struggle to convert certain vitamins. So I'm not a big fan of just multivitamins. You know, I'm, I'm more specific in that. But l- let's talk about the five big deficiencies that I think are real. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone can benefit from taking some extra stuff here. Okay. Number one um, is iodine. Iodine is just out of the soils. Uh, glyphosate ruins it and other problems. So mm-hmm. iodine is very important for the brain. Uh, obviously, certain tissues like the breast, hormone conversion, thyroid hormone. I mean, it's very important. And in, in really, if you're not taking it, consider taking it. Um, K2. Vitamin K2 is very important. That's what how you absorb calcium, use calcium. It's, it plays off of vitamin D and magnesium. K2, why is that deficient? Because we eat grass-fed nothing. People eat grain-fed meats. They don't eat uh, the, the butter that they eat is grain-fed from grain-fed cows, right? And you get cows eat grass that has K1. Mm-hmm. They take it and make it into K2, and then we're able to absorb it. So we can't eat grass and we don't get K2. I mean, you can get some K1 or K2 in like nidokinase, but I mean, who's eating enough of this? We're meant to get it from these animals that basically put it into their flesh, but they have to be eating grass. (laughs) So there's a great deficiency in vitamin K2. Um, Vitamin D, uh, you know, no doubt there's a deficiency and even because people are wearing sunblock, people are avoiding the sun because they have everyone scared to death that the sun is bad. Um, so no doubt vitamin D and caution on vitamin D because vitamin D must be taken with all of the fat solubles. Otherwise you create what is known as a functional deficiency. So you need to take vitamin D, make sure, go look folks. Does your vitamin D have K2, vitamin A, vitamin E? It should. If it doesn't find another one. Hmm. Um, otherwise you create functional deficiencies. And what I mean by that is they compete these fat solubles for the same receptors on the cell. And if you're taking just D, it will block the others. And then you end up with a bigger calcium problem. That's why, you know, in the early days with vitamin D, um, most medical doctors would say vitamin D causes hip fractures. It causes cancer. Vitamin D doesn't, but it does indirectly. It blocks vitamin A, which can lead to cancer and immune problems. It blocks K2, which can lead to calcium absorption problems and hip fractures. Very important. So, okay, that's three. Uh, B12 is another one that's important. Why? Because uh, gut issues. You, you have certain intrinsic factor in the gut that helps convert and make vitamin B12, certain bacteria, and that is troubled today. So B12 deficiencies are absolutely a real thing. And the last one is magnesium. Magnesium is being decimated from the soils via glyphosate um, and other chemicals. And I believe that magnesium with so many purposes uh, for bone, immune health, and hormone health is another deficiency. So those five, I think, are worthy of um, really supplementing. But look, most people aren't sick today because of vitamin deficiencies. And again, subtract those five. Most people are sick because of what they're taking too much of. Bad oils, all the seed oils, rancid, right? Fish oils, rancid, right? All these fragile all fats them, all of them like is there is there none that there's none that we should take at all is this yeah, so if you get a seed oil they are you know there's a process of 
pressing it. You're not going to find that in a food. So when you go to Whole Foods and buy the chips and they have sunflower seed oil in it, it's a rancid oil. Yeah. Uh, you know, is it better organic? Yes, but it's a fragile oil. So, you know, you have to press it in a very special way. Um, fish oil is all rancid. It's just because it's just so fragile with heat. When you put it in your mouth, it has issues. So that's the, uh, you know, another problem. Vegetable oil, canola oil, all of these are in foods and health food stores. Mm. And they are absolutely rancid omega-6. And omega-6 is the key to a healthy cell, not the omega-3 as much. And, and I'm not against omega-3. It's just the, the omega-6 is un- misunderstood. It's the key. And everyone's eating these rancid omega-6s, and yet they need good omega-6 to fix the cell membrane, which helps your hormones, helps your detox. I teach classes on that. <laughs> yeah, Whole Foods uses canola oil, man. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I, I stop. I, I used to go to the salad bar and just go, I, I don't understand. It's all, it's all canola. <laughs> if you go to dinner with my wife and I, we, we hammer them about oils. And we yeah. know that restaurants, even I travel so much, I, know, I can't even tell you restaurants in what city you're in go, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good restaurants use real olive oil, right? They're not, yeah. high, you know, why are they using vegetable oil? It's cheap. It's cheap. It's cheap and it doesn't, it doesn't smoke point and screw up the taste of the food. So yeah. chefs like it for that. But when you go to the real deal, you know, that's, that's a whole other level of good food yeah wow there's a there's a lot of gold there i um yeah like i've kind of gone back and forth with taking supplements i try and get them all with food you know as best as we can right i mean it's it's one of those things like where do you how do you recommend somebody chooses a brand though because there's a lot of garbage too and a lot of people are just confused so what how do they even navigate through the brands like who do you? Re- yeah, exactly. And like I'm, I'm not going to say a brand because yeah. I, I just don't want anybody to be one yeah, of, of those. I, I feel like yeah. the knowledge that I'm spewing out here is, <laughs> you know, so valuable that I, God forbid you look at me as like selling a supplement. So um, <laughs> we know, we know, man, we know. Oh uh, yeah, um, you know. Look, I, you know, I I know there's all the green foods and all that, but I'm I am even a little suspicious of the, their their effectiveness yeah. because it's still processed. You know, it's a tough one. It's, I know, you know, so synthetic a, crap out there. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm connected to a company that I, I go to the lab, they're testing what's in it. They're using active ingredients, you know, but it, it's, it's a line that doctors, only doctors can buy, you know? So, um, you, you know, you interviewed Nick and many, some of my doctors, uh, <laughs> yeah. they all carry that line. How's that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just cause there's, there's so many people just, are just walking around buying stuff and it's just a waste of money, right? And that's the problem is that, I mean, they don't want to pay the money for something higher quality. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with the supplement industry. It's like people are just paying for crap. You know, you go everybody, to your local grocery you know, store. Everybody is money conscious. I get it. Yeah. But what really is determined by values, right? Yeah. You know, if I was making $20,000 a year, I'd still be taking what I take and eating what I eat mm-hmm. because it's a value. And I say that out of experience because I've been there. So, yeah. you know, I'm not like saying, you know, yeah, you know totally. what if I, I've been there and it's such a value that I figure out a way, right? It's just like people who smoke cigarettes, uh, you know, at every income level, they smoke cigarettes. That's a damn expensive habit. They yeah. figure it out. Oh, they figure it out. Isn't right. So again, that's a value to smoke cigarettes. So they, they find the money. Uh, no different with healthy food. 
um, and, and better supplements. You know, the value's there. Hmm? What, are you, uh, what are you working on right now and where can everybody check out all your, all your good stuff? What's, what's happening for that? Yeah, I mean, Beyond Fasting is my, my book that's out. Everything I talked about with fasting, diet, mm-hmm. it's in the book. Um, it's a pre-release right now. So if you go to uh, beyondfastingbook.com, mm-hmm. you can get it, pre-order. It's not on Amazon yet, purposely, because um, we haven't decided if we're going with a publisher. Um, so we just, I just literally launched it to my private, you know, my audience, my following, if you will. So releasing it to your following, uh, beyondfastingbook.com. And, uh, you know, I'm about halfway through my next book. <laughs> That's how long it takes, um, which is all my detox strategies. And, uh, you know, why did I write the fasting before that one? You know, my life story is in that the, the next book, uh, the detox book. And that, that was a lot of emotion around it, so it was a little harder to write. Yeah. My original book was The Cellular Healing Diet, which sold a million copies or more, actually, more than that. But, um, and, and that was based on, again, uh, the principles of cellular inflammation. And then Beyond Fasting takes that to the next level, and then my, my next book is The Detox. Hmm. Why do you do what you do? Easy. <laughs> I didn't choose it. It chose me. I would be a structural funk, you know, correction chiropractor, probably very happy, probably, uh, you know, great family, decent living, loving what I do, helping people. That's what I'm called to do. However, when I got sick in 1999, you know, my life changed and um, I was called into this. Everything that I teach has come out of that. I was, when I was in Africa, I was there three times. I, I mentioned one, right? And I don't even remember I, if this was the first or second time. I, I really don't recall. But I was on stage at a big, huge leadership conference. Blessed to be there. Some, you know, incredible leaders from the UK and most from Africa. And they wanted me to speak on a health topic. And I was very nervous to do it because it was the first time that I, uh, ever used an interpreter. It was very hard. So I didn't really, I was like kind of, mm, you know, okay, yeah. And the gentleman there, in, you have to understand in Zimbabwe is where I was. There's Mingabe, who's one of the world's, well, he's not there anymore, but uh, he was overthrown. However, uh, at this time, he was one of the world's most fierce dictators, top three considered. And um, then there was another gentleman that he was more of the spiritual powerhouse uh, in Zimbabwe. People loved him. Mugabe hated him, didn't trust him. So, which is a whole other story that maybe I'll tell. But um, so, Pastor Getsy, very powerful. When you're in his presence, you know you're in the presence of someone very powerful. That's all I can tell you, right? You know, and, and not many people give me that like he did. He comes down the aisle at a very brisk pace after my lecture. And I'm going, oh my God, like, what did I say? I don't know. Maybe he interpreted me wrong. Well, it was going to be my defense because <laughs> yeah. he looked like he was on a mission. And he comes up to me and my heart's pounding. And he says, Dr. Pompa, your authority does not come from your learning, your university, how they, you know, how they speak it. It comes from the victory God gave you. And I never understood that to its entirety in that moment. I was just so thankful 
that he didn't scold me for something, right? Not sure what he meant by that, but okay. Mm. It wasn't until years later that I realized, you know, it's like God gave me victory over that to call me to where he needed me to be called. You know, and now, as you know, I teach doctors around the world, uh, blessed even still, you know, coaching uh, people with different unexplainable illnesses. So, you know, all of that, um, I didn't choose it. Now, why am I here? I was called here. <laughs> it wasn't my choice. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Man, I, I love your work and I really appreciate you, you know, what you do. And I've done it. I've experienced it. It's a great program. Like it's, it makes so much sense. And I remember watching your videos on it and like breaking it down is like how, how the detox works, you know, and it's in that sometimes is all people need to really shift and you see it. It makes total sense. And people just need to have things make sense to them, you know? And once it, for me, it did. And I saw yeah. it and I, you know, and after exploring more and getting to know you more, I, um, I really respect what you do. So thank you so much for coming on today, man. I, I appreciate having me, Lance. And thank you for everything you do. You bring many messages to the world. I appreciate that. Thank you. And always to wrap up, I know we kind of talked about this, but this is kind of like the staple question at the end. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? <laughs> oh, man. You know, what it's taught me is adversity is the key to being who God needs you to be, to be the person he's called you to be, with the purpose he's given you. Rick Warren wrote the number one selling book of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. So I believe we're all born with a purpose. But the only way to that purpose is the adversity. And that's really what that Pastor Gatsi um, from Zimbabwe meant when he said, you know, your authority comes from the victory God gave you. We need the adversities in our life to become who we are. So therefore, if that's the case, then we need to reframe how we look at the adversity in our life and realize that it's a path to the light, literally, that God has for us. Beautiful and well said. Thank you so much, Dr. Pompa, everybody. Make sure, if you can, to leave us a review on Apple. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. It's all free. Stay on top of the episodes. Check out Dr. Pompa's work. He's got great content. And he's, his ability to explain complicated, um, complicated topics, he explains them very well in a simple way for people like me to absorb. <laughs> because a lot of it, a lot of this information out there Sometimes it needs to be broken down in a way that I can understand. And Dr. Pompa is the master at breaking this stuff down. So if you haven't already, go follow him, check out his work. And uh, yeah, all the best, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy. Much love. Catch you next time.